Friends, this is Morgan Snyder, and welcome back to another episode of the Ransom Heart Podcast. It's an honor and a privilege to get to host the space to connect with you allies all around the globe. Friends, though, I've navigated many acute moments in wilderness survival. I've been in storms at sea, lightning strikes, hurricane speed winds in the high alpine of the Colorado Rockies, close encounters with grizzlies in the Yukon Territory. Nothing to date has been as challenging as a seemingly innocuous adventure my wife Sherry and I took 16 years ago. An 11-hour drive to a week-long camping trip in the Yellowstone National Park with our eight-week-old son. No parenting book I've found recommends that sort of camping trip with an infant and a nursing mom. But I guess some combination of new parent sleep deprivation and a longing to immerse our son and ourselves in the comfort and the expanse of wilderness made this trip seem like a perfectly reasonable choice, at least at the time. Looking back in the rearview mirror at the woefully unsuccessful yet life-infused trip, I remember that what most nurtured us was not the much-anticipated wildlife encounters. They didn't line up with Joshua's nap schedule or the iconic lingering by a campfire. The volume of our son's crying against the background of the otherwise quiet campground compelled us to bail on the campfire in order to preserve some evening ambiance for our fellow adventure seekers. What brought life to us on that trip was being swept up into an audiobook that captured and reoriented our hearts during the endless hours of driving we did while our infant son napped. The car, rather than the tent, turned out to be his preferred sleeping environment. Those hours of driving along the scenic byways through Yellowstone and Grand Tetons National Park, just taking in the expansive and magnificent beauty of the Rocky Mountains. They were moments of eternity piercing our seemingly ordinary lives. Our son could rest, and my wife and I could be saturated in hope and vision by a mentor and a guide. Through his compelling and intimate audiobook, we were reformed and renewed in sorts of ways that I can't even put words to. And that put a deposit in us that is still deeply at work in our lives today. Ever since that trip, my heart has been captured by audiobooks. For each of our family trips, the Spirit seems to provide a unique audiobook that ends up shaping a trip and in hindsight often embodies the whole of the particular season of our family story. The poignancy of a particular audiobook is true not only for our family trips, but for my personal adventures as well. On these trips, it's as if the author becomes an intimate traveling companion interacting with me along every mile of the way. In that sense, I recall Dallas Willard was with me when I ventured decades ago into the Gila National Forest in New Mexico, first introducing to me the path of a pervasive inner transformation through his brilliant work, Renovation of the Heart. I remember Richard Swenson sitting shotgun 
on a trip along the front range, providing me through his much needed book margin with some sort of orienting and essential counsel for our times of accelerated progress. I remember Parker Palmer accompanying me to Colorado's Western Slope with the presence of a loving grandfather. He offered vision and hope in his treasured book, A Hidden Wholeness, in some of my darkest hours. Since that heroic venture, camping with our young son Joshua, audiobooks have become a centerpiece in my apprenticeship in kingdom living. It was Chesterton who said that every generation loses the gospel and every generation is charged with its recovery. The voices and lives of heroic men and women who have gone before me expressed in audiobooks have helped me to recover more and more of the path of becoming the kind of man who God can gladly entrust the care of his kingdom. When I set out to write Becoming a King, I remember being fueled by the anticipation of recording the audiobook and the opportunity to connect with each reader soul to soul, believing in time that this message would rescue the lives of many. As you may know, the heart of Becoming a King is what I have discovered since I started asking this question 20 years ago. What's the most important thing? In over two decades, the Spirit initiated a quest in me to find the answer. What I found was not what I expected, and where I found it was in the most unanticipated places. With the question came a restored strength and an unshakable hope. The answer turned out not to be a thing at all, but a path and a process to becoming more and more who God meant when He meant each and every one of us. When I set out to record the audiobook, in process, I had a sense that God was asking the question, what would I offer in addition exclusively to the audiobook that would allow the readers to connect even more personally, being able to apply the message to their present circumstances? My dream was this, what if I gathered together some of the men closest to me that have all consented to the path and process of becoming a king for over a decade? What if I got to ask questions of them and hear their stories and wonder together, what is the impact? What is the fruit? What happens to a man? What happens to a family? What happens to a community when he consents to the path and process? And so I had the privilege of doing that. And I offered that interview that conversation as exclusive bonus material in the audiobook but my sense in this season of launching becoming a king was to take a portion of it and share it with the ransom heart community all around the globe there are other exclusive treasures in the becoming a king audiobook but for today i wanted to invite you our ransom heart tribe to gather together and to dive in to join me at this campfire circle and hear conversations of the impact from men who have consented to the path and process of becoming a king for over a decade. I think you'll enjoy this. Alex, Aaron, JD, like, boys, we have never done this. Like, we've never, never been in the studio, the four of us. The four of us. Isn't that crazy making? Mm. Is that true? Mm -hmm. We've never had a conversation in here with the four of us. True. It's wild to be in the studio. 
I think what's significant for me is we have consented to the process and the path of becoming together Mm. in shared life for Mm. over a decade. And real specifically, that first event that featured the content, the message of becoming a king was the Become Good Soil Intensive at the Globe and Anchor Ranch. And we were all participants back then. And so I'd love to hear from you a story, an example of this is what it was like for me when I first considered this view and consented to a process, a slow and steady process over time. And then now here's where I find myself in just kind of a juxtaposition just to help friends out there that are asking the question, practically speaking, what does this look like? I remember vividly at the Globe and Anchor Ranch, two things. One, that weekend changed my life. And two, I left early. You sure did. <laughs> you you know, left because early. Why'd you leave early, I JD? left early because... You had some I important like work to do, I'm sure. I was like a big deal in the consulting world. <laughs> and really I had big deal. important meetings in New York yes. the next day. And I had to fly out to meet those yes. folks. And so I walked away from the most important weekend of my life in service of the person I was a decade ago. Now, in all compassion, how did you feel in the moment? I felt torn. Yes. I almost canceled my meeting, but... I didn't. Mm -hmm. And that person, me, a decade ago, was very successful on the outside and incredibly lonely on the inside Mm. because I was Mm -hmm. by myself traveling around the country and around the world meeting with clients. And it was the most lonely I've been. Wow. And I juxtapose that with where I am now sitting in this room with you three guys where we have a decade of life together, Mm -hmm. some in the dailies, some less frequently, but I'm a completely different person today Mm. than I was 10 years ago. Mm. But that first weekend planted the seeds. I actually commented to my wife, Amy, this morning that I came back from that first retreat after I got back from New York and I came home and I was like, Amy, we have to downsize. Mm. And we literally yeah. moved out of that big house that we had in Cristola and into a little house there in Woodland Park. And my criteria was, I want to live where my peers live instead of living surrounded by people that were 20, 30 years ahead of me that maybe had the same income I did. I instead, because of this, wanted to like right-size my life and, and be surrounded by people that were at the same stage of life with kids the yes. same age and all that kind of stuff. And so even though I did leave that weekend, like I thought about it a lot. Yes. Those mm-hmm. days I was in New York. Yes. Was that the same weekend that you said, I know I'm going to change the world. I just might change the wrong part of it. Yeah. We talked about like a ladder. You climbed the ladder of success and realized it was leaning against the wrong wall. Mm. Yeah. It was. And the reason I made those comments is I was coming to the realization that I was almost to the top of a ladder I didn't actually want to be at the top of. Well, you were at the brink of becoming very successful, right? You were succeeding, but you were just about to throw gasoline on it. And I could observe an internal tug of war of Uh what do I do here? And you chose to see the ladder for what it was. And 
so much your gifting was in it, but you consented to a process of taking the lowest seat at the table of soul sizing your kingdom, right? Uh, eventually. <laughs> eventually. It, it, it yeah. took a few years. Okay. Well, okay. I don't think in the beginning, any of us would have had language for that. Right. The yeah. soul sizing my life. Yes. Right. I think only in more recent years would we be able to use that kind of language to say, this is actually what that means. Yeah. And yet back then when you're referring to downsizing, it was just the beginnings. It's like the, it's the thing that's in front of me right now Yes. that I know to do. I don't know how to describe it, but I know there's something about the fact that my loneliness is correlated with the fact that all of my neighbors are 52 and I'm 30. And some of that's part of the story too, right? Of like, I'm a big deal. I'm flying out and getting paid X thousands of dollars per day. And yet I'm doing it alone without a friend, you know, in service together, totally solo. It's a one man act. Yep. And I'm leaving the very thing I long for, which is a room full of friends to go do the thing that I've spent my whole life getting myself to this place. Mm, yeah. Right. But even then, none of us, I don't know that we could have articulated yes. that then like we can now in the rearview mirror. Yeah. Is that so, fair? So, Aaron, it's very fair. So then for you, then and now, I think that's very helpful to say, even if you didn't have the language, how would the version of you describe the impact of facing this message and what it was suggesting and what it was presenting as the offer and what you do about it? Because I observed your life is very different a decade later. Yeah, I mean, I think there was just these outlandish ideas and and my memory goes straight to meeting for pizza and beers mm -hmm. when you sent out your birthday letter Yes, and said, what's the one thing? And then you had these Word documents, printed emails stapled. And then we're huddling around these questions like, and these guys, what I remember was like, the guys who owned an oil rig off yes. the coast of California who had everything. And he's the one who's saying something along the lines of put your pencil down at five and go home and be with your family. Mm. And yet I'm trying to be maybe not the guy who owns the oil rig, but I want some version of freedom. I want some version of like, well, let me crush it. Let me earn a bunch of money. And then when I do that, well, then I'll tell stories about how it's not important because yes. I felt like that was rich guys. Like we would see these older rich guys yes. like, hey, that's a great story for you to tell. You're rich. Mm -hmm. And now you're telling me about how it's not a big deal <laughs> in all of the margin that you have in your life. But then there were these stories that people were telling where they actually had margin in their life and it wasn't because they were rich. So what I remember back then was just feeling an urgency to hurry up and make a little money, make a name for myself. Get something going. Get something going and get enough momentum behind that something that I could outrun my past. Mm. What that past was, was raised by a single mom, oldest of three, parents divorced when I'm in middle school and going and being in the free lunch line and food stamps on the weekends. So I just remember like being at the first intensive when we started 30-ish, three kids at home, 10 or 15 years into marriage and realizing like, okay, I'm listening. I don't know what to do with this advice from these older men, but I'm listening. And then there was enough of a variety of the older men that you had, like it was the forest service ranger right. to a Vanderbilt professor to right, a, a Jewish grandfather. Professor. 
So it was eclectic enough, I couldn't dismiss it all. I think that's what was so jarring. Like there's advice in here from people that are further ahead on the trail than us. And they're saying things that are outlandishly in opposition to what our society is telling us how you live life. Mm. Like put your pencil down at five, remember it was a big one. Or wealth that's measured not by finances, but by how we experience our life. I was like, wealthy, what? Wealthy is like one category. It's a financial 401k retirement savings indicator, not an experience of how do I experience my life? When do I feel wealthy? And I think those are the things that back then that were just so in our face, in my face, and I was feeling so exhausted from how I was choosing to live my life that I was willing to consider, (laughs) well, I'm so tired. Clearly, this isn't working that Mm. great. Mm. So maybe there's another way. Mm. Alex, then and now, take me back to what you were feeling or thinking at the beginning of this. Yeah, a couple things rise for me when I think back to that first intensive. The first thing is I remember being just overwhelmed by life. And I remember most of my internal energy during those years and during that time was devoted to how do I get it right? Hmm. How do I not screw this all up? And getting it right means what? Finances, marriage, kids, work, relationships, all of it. Mm. Like, I think the other thing I felt was I just felt like a boy. I felt like any day now I'm going to be exposed and it's all going to come crashing down. And so I think there was a a real ripeness Mm -hmm. for the message because what really stood out to me, and I don't actually have a lot of memories from that first intensive other than this one thing. And it's what stuck with me through it all. When you started describing, you know, what if we took this journey and what if we gave it a decade? What if we said for the next 10 years, we're going to commit ourselves to putting down all the tools we've been trying to use to build a kingdom for ourselves, make some money, make a name, all of that energy, which felt like the primary thing, which I think was a lot of that fear that I felt inside Mm -hmm. was a lot of that, you know, I've got to get this right and feeling like I, maybe I wasn't. And, um, and so when you described that and said, what if we laid that all down and we committed to a journey of taking a look at our character Mm -hmm. and, and letting character be primary for a decade and becoming the kind of person that can actually handle these things. There was kind of two simultaneous reactions in me, and I think one was a feeling of, then I'll really be behind. Mm. And What an expensive time. Yeah, and the fear of, well, if I don't get it figured out now, I never will, and it'll be too late, and I'll have missed out. But the other simultaneous reaction was, what a relief. Like, what a relief that if the narrative's true of what all these men are telling you, that they actually, by trying to build a kingdom, were moving in the wrong direction. Yes. And they should have been building their character. And there's actually some magic in that. 
there was real relief in that. Yes. For me as well. Yes. And the thing that just clenched it for me was when you presented all that, God snuck up on me and he, he kind of asked me the question in the moment as I'm sitting there in the room and I'm listening to you and the other guys as we're talking and God goes, so what if, what if you committed to this and what if in 10 years you die? Is it worth it? And you know how you can just process a million things at once yes. and it all flashed before me, 10 years, what if I die? What does that look like? And thinking about Mel and the kids and realizing, oh my gosh, if I committed to this and I truly became the man that, that knows how to love his wife, knows how to love his kids, knows how to handle his world, as opposed to the man who just builds his kingdom and ends up being one of those stories of blowing it all up and thinking about my kids and what they would say when I passed away. That was the clincher for me because it was like, of course I want him to say, my dad became a better man mm. over the last 10 years rather than, well, my dad did some great things, but I didn't really know him or he was kind of an asshole. And so that was the hook for me. And we've heard those stories. I remember one of the mentors, when he was reflecting back, he said his dad was a big deal in actually a ministry space. So he was a well-known teacher and minister around the world. And he went to his dad's funeral. And all these people from far away described this awesome man that had so much impact. And I remember he said to his closest friends, that sounds like an amazing man but I don't know that man. That sure mm. wasn't my dad. Mm. And I remember that was years ago, but the heart in me to be the kind of man that my wife and my kids would be so strengthened by and enlivened by and refreshed by and miss sincerely that they get the very best parts of me. I went, that could be my story. I could end yes. up like that guy very easily, you know, yeah. in compassion. Because I think, as you guys are all reflecting, what I'm remembering is most of those mentors on that very first list, they were speaking to us out of their pain and their regret. They weren't mm -hmm. saying, hey, I killed it. I found men that I respected that would be honest with me and us. And most of them were saying, oh, if Don't I had- Don't go this Exactly. Way. If I had today's wisdom with yesterday's story, I would have said to my young soul, right, take longer vacations, learn how to play, drop your pencil at five, do the work of excavation. A decade, I remember one man said, is a very short amount of time. And that was powerful. I remember one mentor out of his own pain, he said to me, there's desire and there's fulfillment. And the mistake of most young men is they attach those two things thinking they're meant to be happening simultaneously the desire is meant to be the fuel for the process over time of becoming the kind of person that has the wholeheartedness and the capacity to walk in the fulfillment of that destiny. And then I started looking at so many good men that have blown up where they were supposed to be a pastor, but they went and fulfilled that role early and got taken out because that's a complex world. They were supposed to run a company. They were supposed to be a community leader, mm -hmm. but they chased it. They fought bravely and they died quickly because the desire they thought meant fulfillment now. And I remember all of us in those conversations early, just feeling so frustrated because we just wanted to chase every dream and have it fulfilled now. So it was that kind of pain they spoke out of that really saved us from a lot. 
what I'm reminded of while we're talking is even back then how, I guess, kind of binary we would look at things or how I looked at things of I'm either on the right path or I'm on the wrong one, or I should either say yes to this or no to this, or this is the career I should be in or I shouldn't. And I think what really began to take shape was in prioritizing the character excavation over those outcomes or those yes, no answers and saying, okay, what if instead, what if I loosen my grip on those questions of where should I be or what should I do next and start to turn that inward and ask God, like, how might I become a man who can navigate any and all circumstances that I'm faced with? Mm-hmm. And what might that look like? And then all of a sudden it was like, because of the circumstances of my life at the time, you know, our, our daughter was in a wheelchair, um, severely special needs. My marriage was on the thin threads of different versions of pain we were experiencing. And I was always asking a question. And instead, I began to just ask God, like, okay, what would it look like for this, for today? What do I need today from you? And this, you know, becoming a generalist or becoming and choosing to be a son, like, oh my gosh, well, if I was a son, well, how would I view this moment right now? Mm -hmm. Would I view this as the, I'm scared shitless and I got to figure this out? Or my dad's got this, hey, dad, what are we going to do? Like very different because yes. it was the same situation, same circumstance, but beginning to engage my own heart in the circumstance became, I could loosen my grip on the outcomes and the destinations. Friends, there's more. There's more in this conversation. It's tucked into the audiobook Becoming a King. And there's more for each of us as apprentices in God's kingdom as we consent to the slow and steady work of inner transformation. I want to invite you to pause with me just in this moment. Just pause in the fullness of our days as we soak and saturate in what we have just heard in this conversation. Holy Spirit, what do you want to reveal? What is it that's most important to you in this hour for my heart? What do you want to highlight? Where are you inviting me to go to? And how are you asking for me to see you? in our story together on the earth in this hour. God, we find ourselves in the midst of a world um, yet again being shaken. And it is a time of ache and also a time of promise because we know that as the world is shaken, it will reveal what can be shaken and what is truly unshakable. And God, we choose to rest in the promise and the possibility today that the kingdom of God is unshakable, that you will not be moved, that you are well and that you are happy and that you are filled with vibrancy of life, that we are being invited into a God-initiated story, a God-bathed 
story and a God-breathed story. And so, God, I pray that you would catch our hearts today, that you would show us what you have next. Where is it that we are to go? God, you say through the words of St. Francis that we are to start with what is necessary. And in time, we will find ourselves doing what's possible. And in time and over time, we will find ourselves doing what's impossible. God, you make the impossible possible. And so we invite your power into our lives today to meet us where we are. God, to receive your word that we are on time, that nothing has been wasted, and that you are our fuel, you are our hope, you are our promise, you are the reason that we can anticipate and expect good things ahead. So God, we pray that you would strengthen our souls today in places of weariness, you would give us strength. In places of fear, you would give us courage. In places of doubt, you would give us faith. We receive you afresh. We ask that your spirit would fill us from that crown of our head to the soles of our feet. Strengthen us today in our inner being. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. We receive you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Friends, I hope that you enjoyed this time. And if you are interested and curious to dive into Becoming a King or the book, the video series, the study guide, or the audiobook with these exclusive treasures and more, you can find it all at becomingaking.com. It's an honor to host the Ransom Heart podcast today. And I look forward to being together with you again. 